Welcome to Disruption Land. Welcome to Disruption Land. Welcome to Disruption Land. The unconventional take on all things. Innovation, tech and transformation. Join us as we explore the ideas and impact that might just change, change the, the world. world. Yes, so welcome to this first ever episode of Disruption Land. My name is Ellen Bjerkag and together with Epicenter's own disruption officer, Hannes Sjöblad, will we guide you whilst we meet incredible guests and speakers and innovators that are disrupting the world one way or another every day. And who better have as a first guest than the author of the book that's responsible for disrupting business modeling and causing the biggest shift in how business is done since the Industrial Revolution. Welcome, Robbie Kelman-Baxter. Thank you for joining me in Disruption Land. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited as well. So tell us, how have your concept, the membership economy, disrupted business model? But Because I know you, you coined the term and it became a massive transformational trend. So people use membership mindset to build long-term relationships with the people they serve. So how do you see that the membership economy disrupted business? So I've been thinking about this idea of companies treating their customers like members. And as a result of that long-term focus on helping that customer solve their problem or achieve their goal, the company earns the right to request recurring revenue to have subscription pricing. And I've been interested in this idea for about 15, almost 20 years. Uh, But when I published the membership economy five years ago, a lot of people, a lot of businesses didn't see how this trend could transform or disrupt, depending on whether they used it or not, their current business. Um, But in the past five years, since the book came out, we've seen such an explosion in businesses of all kinds using those principles, subscription pricing, digital community, free as as a price point, in building a new kind of model with their customers that is closer and more long lasting than what we've seen in the past. And that's the really powerful part of the membership economy is that tight, tight recurring revenue relationship. Yeah, because it's not we spoke about it and it's not only I've read your books and we're going to step into your your new book as well. But but it's not only subscription, but it's more of a mindset of building a community and, you know, so many membership all over right now like when you walk in a store and you buy something it's like are you a member and like well I don't know like am I what's like why should I be a member so a lot of companies at at least stores have used it for a few years but I've also when I read your books for me was just mind-blowing because I thought of so many industries and so many companies that could apply it because it's really uh, that everybody could benefit from from thinking in this kind of mindset right yeah i think that um you know the, the at the core the idea that i'm trying to teach people is if you take a step back from your current business and you say what is the goal my customer is trying to achieve or the problem they're trying to solve that has driven them to buy my products more than once especially it gives you insight about where they're trying to go which can inform where you go and how you build that relationship. And, you know, you said something interesting. You said, you know, you walk into stores and they ask you if you're a member and you think, oh, I don't know. Am yeah. I a member? <laughs> what, what? I don't even remember that being an option. 
it doesn't matter so much to me whether the customer thinks of themselves as members, um, if they call themselves members, loyal shoppers, regular listeners, if it's Spotify, readers, if it's news organizations. It's the way the organization treats the customer like a member, like they'll be coming back, like they'll have to answer to them. And that's where the magic happens is if you expect your customers, like it's almost like if you imagine that your customers have your personal cell phone, you would treat them differently. And, you know, I have a sort of funny story. A good friend of mine from business school is very senior at the big cable company here. And my mom is a customer of that cable company and they're notorious for not giving good service. And my mom has his phone number because when he was in business school, he sometimes stayed with my parents. And so she has his number. She's known him since he was pretty young. And so she'll call him and she'll say, you know, hi, it's Joy. Uh, you know, the, the, the repairman was supposed to be at, here at two and now it's three and he's not here. And I'm wondering, could you just check in on that for me? And that's a member relationship when you feel like you can complain and you can reach the right person and get the problem solved. And so you trust and you stay for a long time. The unfortunate thing in that story is that the only reason my mom had that kind of access was because of a pre-existing relationship with the individual and not with the company. And in the membership economy, you want every member to feel like that. So when you walk into the store, you feel like they know who I am. They know what my price points are. They know what kind of clothes I like. They might have set something aside for me because they know I'll be back. They might have even called me and invited me to come in because they got a new shipment or they just launched a sale and they have things that they know are going to be valuable to me. Yeah, because that's like if you feel part of a community or like you said, a member, I can also think of companies that might have not used that many, but it it's kind of feels like I'm I'm supporting them right from the start. So they're really doing something yeah. different. And uh, I know that it, like the new release, it's I think it's it's uh, one of my favorite business books already. I'm going to read it, reread it. <laughs> it's the forever transaction. And the subtitle is how to build a subscription model so compelling your customers never want to leave. First of all, five years after and, you know, the first book was a top seller. Why did you decide to release this one? And what's what's the difference of the, the membership concept and the forever transaction? Yeah, well, it's I think I think more than anything, Ellen, it's a different time. Five years ago, I had to explain to people the power of subscription pricing and the power of this mindset. And I had to show them how it could be applied in any business. So the first book was really what it is and why it's so powerful. And, you know, five years later, I don't have to explain to anybody why subscriptions are powerful. Everybody understands. I don't have to explain what what the metric of customer lifetime value is or why everybody that's powerful. Yeah. And everybody it's, wants recurring revenue. Like yeah, that's on the top of the mind for everyone. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone wants it. You know, they've seen Spotify, they've seen Netflix, um, they've seen Peloton, and they want a little bit of that for themselves. They want the higher multiples, the higher valuations for their companies. They want the predictable cash flow. They want the direct to customer relationship. And what I'm seeing is they're trying things and it's not working. They're slapping subscription pricing on the products and services they've always had. They're not focusing on retention, they're just focusing on acquisition. And so this second book is really about the how. How do you build a subscription model, as, as I said in the, in the cover, so compelling that your customers will never want to leave. So it's not that they will never leave, it's not like we're locking them in, um, which a lot of companies have tried, but 
it's such a good model that they say, why would I ever leave? It solves my problem for me. The price is fair for all the value I'm getting. Why would I look elsewhere? And that's really what I'm trying to do in this book is teach people what are, this, what are the distinctions between a subscription model that works and a subscription model that doesn't work. Because one of the companies that you work with for such a long time it's, is uh, Netflix, right? And I yeah. saw you shared recently uh, an article on that they will actually help their customers to quit if they haven't used their subscription for a year. Yeah, they've been really... they've revolutionized subscriptions. I really give them a lot of credit because, of course, there were subscriptions before Netflix, you know, newspapers, magazines, Mm. uh, gym memberships. There were book of the month clubs. And a lot of those organizations, especially the book of the month clubs and the other of the month clubs, really had a kind of a bad reputation for making it hard to cancel. Uh, You know, I remember when I was a kid, you could get... um, 12 CDs for a penny. And that sounded so great. So, of course, every kid signed up for that, for a penny. And then, you know, the next month, they'd send you a very expensive CD that you didn't want. Mm. And you couldn't, it was very hard to return. It was very hard to get your money back. And it was very hard to cancel the subscription. Yeah, that's the worst, right? it, It is the worst. And you feel so bad and you feel so tricked and violated because the whole point of a subscription is trust. And then there they are violating your trust. So what Netflix has done, so first, you know, 20 years ago, they did something revolutionary, which is cancel anytime. You can subscribe to Netflix for one month and then cancel. Yeah. And you know, that's fine. It's just month to month. There's no annual subscription. There's no lock-ins. There's no special deals where you have to stay a certain number of months. Everybody in the entire Netflix customer base is month to month. So that was really, that was actually a much bigger risk, I think. And then the other thing that they've done more recently that you bring up is they've said, they've gone a step further and said, if you've been subscribing for 12 months without taking advantage of our services, in other words, you haven't watched any content in a year, We'll cancel your subscription. You shouldn't be paying us. We don't want zombie revenue. And a lot of people thought that was really bold and daring. But when I look at it, I think, well, you know, how, hopefully they're not making a lot of their revenue on people who are not using their products, right? Hopefully right. the majority of their customers, I mean, if, if majority of your customers are not getting value, that you have a very big problem. And, and the PR that they get and the goodwill that they get from those customers for reminding them and canceling for them, I think will more than compensate for any lost zombie revenue yeah i mean it just makes you love them even more for me it's just like wow have you heard about this and you know you can speak about it so at pr i definitely agree so because we also i was thinking on the subscription model is there any specific time frame you usually like if it's quarterly monthly or yearly because i know i read in the book that if you have a yearly membership in a community or something people like kind of takes off their their consumer hat and becomes member they put on the member hat instead is it to prefer to work monthly or yearly or quarterly or is it depending on the business yeah i think it depends on the business for for most businesses it's desirable to have annual um, because to, to an extent it locks people in for 12 months uh, and having that long-term relationship is going to be more valuable But there are many models. There's a couple of problems with annual. Number one, for a new customer, that is a very big hurdle 
you know, it's a big risk. So there's a lot of friction to get them to sign up, especially if they're not familiar with your offering, they don't understand your offering, or they don't trust you yet. They don't believe that you're going to provide them value that they want. So a lot of businesses have to go start monthly or, or quarterly to get people in the front door to get trial. Um, another option, if you do have an annual model, is to say we have a free trial and then it's a one-year commitment. So a lot of companies start with monthly because it's easier to get people to join. And once they make it a habit, they'll stay. And sometimes once they make it a habit, they'll switch to annual because often annual either has additional features, benefits, or it has a better price point. Like one year or uh, an annual subscription might be 75% the cost of 12 months. So that also creates value for the, the annual subscriber. Um, on the other hand, sometimes you don't want to do monthly because often you have fixed costs. And so, for example, if setting somebody up, a new subscriber, if, if there's a big cost there, you don't want to sign people up and then have them leave after one month because you'd be losing money. So, for example, a, a meal kit company where they mail you the food, right? If, you're, if you send them a free trial you actually have a real cost. Or yeah. if you have, like I worked with a, um, a B2B company that did billing they, they or a, a payroll. They managed the payroll for small business owners. And the problem there for the customer is that the setup was very hard to move all of their customers. So the company handled that for them. They, they helped them move all of their records over. So they had a very big fixed cost to get a new customer on board. So you don't, you know, you might want to have an annual subscription or you might not want to give that away for free because you actually are incurring a real cost. So those are some of the reasons why you might do annual versus monthly. And then quarterly is kind of in between. I, I see that sometimes when the benefit is quarterly. So if if the actual subscription, you really only use it once a quarter, uh, let's say it's about a, a health checkup or um, a visit from a um, like an auditor to come and check your house and make sure that, you know, your fire alarms work or your uh, your walls are solid. They're not going to come, they don't come very often. And so sometimes, you know, you say, well, we don't want to charge you monthly if you're only going to see them quarterly. So that's sometimes an issue as well. Yeah, but personally, I thought about it. I mean, I like these things that where you have monthly, but then you can sign up, but then maybe you can take a break or, and then you can sign yeah. up again. I had that with one company and they like, send me a reminder email we miss you and then i signed up again because i knew it was so easy to quit and that yeah. was actually like food delivery on the door because it was so easy to just stop the subscription and then resign so yeah. i like them a lot and i've spoken to it like it's so easy so i've made more people signing up but in the book in, uh, in my favorite book here the forever <laughs> transaction <laughs> i like love I it i love that uh, you have three parts you speak about launch scale and lead and I really fell in love with one of the chapters, or you mentioned it throughout the book, and it's the forever promise that you speak about. So what is the forever promise and how could people create a forever promise or see if they have a forever promise? This is the heart of the book. And it, I'm so glad you asked this question, Ellen, because this is something that any business owner, any, any association leader, any nonprofit leader can do right now with no technology and no big changes to the corporate structure, which is take a step back and say, what is the long-term problem or long-term goal that my customer has that makes them keep coming back to me? 
and how can I better align my services around that goal? Um, And that's the promise you're making. So a forever promise is where the company says to their best customer, the people they most want to serve and are best able to serve, I promise that I will always help you achieve this goal or solve that problem. So for example, with Netflix, which we've talked about, it's about broad selection of professionally created video content delivered with cost certainty in the most efficient way possible. So 15 years ago, that was other people's content, right? Netflix didn't make their own content 15 years ago, delivered through DVDs. And today, it's their own content, mostly, delivered through streaming services, right? Through your, you know, through your phone or your smart TV or your video game console, all of those different ways to access the content. It's way more convenient because technology has changed. And that's a really important part about a forever promise is a lot of companies get stuck falling in love with their own products instead of falling in love with the customer's problem. That's why I really fell in love with it because I was thinking like the companies I'm customer to, the companies I worked with, like what's the real forever promise? That even if the digitalization or technology or anything shifts completely, we can still keep the same promise. It's yeah. it's such a powerful way of working. And it's so interesting when you can actually speak about Netflix to still deliver on their forever promise. And, and the problem's not going to go away. I mean, we still need entertainment, video entertainment. And, you know, there's different ways to get, you know, when I worked with them, I haven't worked with them in quite a while. But when I worked with them, one of the you know, sort of opportunities that came over my desk was video games. This is, you know, whatever, 15, 17 years ago, uh, this company called and said, hey, we have video games. We want you to do, you know, what if you offered video games as well as uh, uh, video, you know, TV and movies, right? They still fit in the deep, they're on DVDs. You already have the distribution. You know, your customers probably like that too. And, and Netflix said, no, we don't do that. We don't do games we do you know video content and it kept them very focused on doing one thing really well and i don't know i mean i always joke that like maybe in 10 years it'll be all holograms right maybe you'll watch you know you know you'll wear goggles and you'll have surround sound you know surround video and who knows but they know who their audience is they know what problem they're solving you know relaxation quality content lean back content uh, it's it's you know they can keep growing. Yeah, exactly. Because sometimes might we might spread to too wide as well. So it's a it's an interesting take. And the second part is uh, scale. So build a shared vision. Leverage uh, the good experience of hundreds of other companies. Best best practice to scale forever. So this is really about like learning from others you work with because. When you have your forever promise, like what's next then? The thing about the the next phase, so the first phase of the book launch is about coming up with that forever promise and experimenting with how you're going to solve the problem. Like what is, you know, you have this vision of I'm going to, you know, solve all their problems forever, but then you go all the way back and say, okay, whose problem am I going to solve first and which features am I going to deliver first? Uh, Because a lot of times companies are sort of, stuck or overwhelmed by the big vision. So launch is about what are you going to just do to get started? Scale is once you know you have product market fit. So you know that this kind of person will buy this product. You have a trigger benefit that will get them to buy it or sign up. 
and they will stay. You can retain them and engage them. So you have a hook to keep them. Once you know that, you're ready to expand, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're inside a larger organization. And so this is where you um, you have to create a culture for the whole organization. Uh, you have you probably want to create an infrastructure and invest in technology to support this new business. You want to start establishing a dashboard of metrics that you're going to use to run your business and identify problem spots and opportunities. And that's really what scale is about, is how do you take this entrepreneurial idea and expand it and grow it? So that's really what that what that second part is. And you're right, there's a lot of learning from other businesses and how they've done it and what problems they've run into, uh, which can help you move more quickly. And I also fell in love with a sentence I've written down, and it's on the uh, third part in the, in the book and in how you work. Forever is a long time, uh, and then the, the part is lead. Forever is a long time, don't take shortcuts. I, I really love that, that phrase as well, because... Uh, we want to think long term but then we might fall into working in now and short-term thinking it's it's funny because a lot of you know with covid um i had several calls in april and late march from companies saying wow we're really struggling we see that the subscription businesses are not struggling as much we quickly need quick quick we need some subscription revenue (laughs) yeah right and that's exactly the opposite of what a subscription does. And uh, you know, I'll give you in contrast, I, I talked to somebody called me yesterday to ask me about consulting services and if I could work with his company. And he said, they're a consumer products company and they're moving to a subscription model going direct to their consumers. And he said, we're planning to budget four to six years for this. We know that we'll have to crawl before we walk and we know that building recurring revenue takes a while. So you don't want to take shortcut that you know, building a subscription model. It's kind of like raising a golden goose and you don't want to cut the goose open like in the children's fairy tale to get all the gold out. There's nothing in there. Um, the value is the goose itself. And so building your like it's so tempting in subscription models when you get to that quarterly, you know, you have to hit your quarterly number. And so you just say, well, let's just sneak in an extra an extra fee. Let's let's add a late fee or let's add a setup fee and we can hit our number by adding a setup fee. If we have, you know, 3000 new customers and we charge them this much, we can hit our setup fee. You know, we can hit our quarterly number and it'll work once or twice because your customers really aren't paying attention. They're not paying attention, not because they're stupid, but because they trust you. Right. It's sort of like saying, you know, my husband or my wife trusts me, so I'm going to steal from their pockets. Yeah, or like set up like something you spoke as well, like set up something that is everybody will subscribe because it's so cheap. And then the next month they are stuck with something. And then that's like the opposite of what Netflix did. That will be huge, uh, uh, like right. bad but news it, on PR. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the thing is, that's so that's so hard is that if your company If your leadership in your company is being rewarded by your board for short-term goals, so in other words, hit this number by the end of Q3 and all of the leaders get a, you know, a 20% bonus, you know, uh, the, the, the executives are going to do everything they can to hit that number, even if it destroys the trust that you've built with your customers by sneaking in a late fee, by not improving the product. I mean, that's another thing that happens is 
in a subscription, the customer trusts that you're going to continue making it better. They pay every month and the product gets better. I subscribe to Spotify. There's always new songs there. There's always new features. I join a gym. You know, periodically they put in new equipment and when they put in the new equipment, they don't raise their fees. They just, it's just part of the experience. And a lot of businesses say, well, let's not upgrade because nobody's complaining or let's add a late fee or, you know, let's make it hard to cancel and get an extra month or two of revenue. And all of those things are very short term in focus and they destroy the long term value of the business model. Yeah, and that's really a leadership question. I mean, even if the management team says this is like or the board says this is what we're going to do but then they look at the numbers short term so it's really about aligning so you work a lot with the with the leadership team i can guess when you consult yeah it's i i tend to work with usually when i come in the leadership team has to want this to happen so you can't have some middle manager say you know the ceo is not interested in this at all but i think it's a great idea it will never work because you need that runway you need some time before the subscription model starts paying off. So it's unlikely without support that you'll get the budget you need to invest. So that's the first thing. But then you need a, um, a leader in the organization. Usually, you know, somebody, I always say it's like a, it's a career maker. It's your legacy project. It might be like a vice president or somebody at the general manager level in a bigger company. In a small company, it might be the CEO who owns this project and comes up with that first experiment but like like you said they really need the leadership support otherwise they're not going to get that runway that they need to tinker and build because you know the, the revenue comes in small increments over time and but once it's going it's really really powerful yeah and i think the last sentence i written down as well is is thank you for taking the high road to engagement loyalty and ultimately recurring revenue. So if you like if somebody's want to take this road to the forever transaction, it's it's a it's a commitment, right? Yeah, yeah. And and the engagement piece, you know, really investing in engagement, which most companies really don't do. They don't it's not a way that organization. So historically, right, if I buy a car and I roll it off the showroom floor, right? It's my problem now. I've paid you the full amount. And if I leave the car in first gear and I, you know, you know, lurch through town and I never use the, the other gears and I never learn how to drive it properly, I might be really disappointed and stop using the car. Not the car's fault, but I don't get the value, but I already own the car. If I'm subscribing and I say this is a terrible car because I'm keeping it in first gear, uh, then I return it. I stop paying the subscription. I cancel. So it's really important for the organization to figure out how to give me, make sure I'm getting the value I'm paying for. So it's not enough to just get me to sign up for the car. They have to make sure I know how to drive the car. Because if I don't, I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to cancel. So really focusing on engagement and tracking whether or not the person's using what they're paying for becomes really important in building subscription revenue. Yeah. And I'm so amazed what we started to speak about is that it's so many different industries because you work with like nails, nail salons or restaurants or it's really, is there any industry where you see you can't work with either subscription or membership or a community or is it actually, because I I had a meeting with, I met a, a law firm 
uh, a few weeks ago, and they also have a subscription model. Yeah, wow. So, so they have a subscription yeah. model, and, and, and they have, I think, three, three different price ranges, depending on how much calls do you want or how much advice you need from them, but they have a monthly, and it becomes cheaper to speak with them Instead of, you know, one, right. you need to speak to a lawyer and then it's like an hourly rate. They have a monthly and then you have a few calls with them. And that was brilliant. Yeah, it's such a good example, Ellen, because, you know, you go to a lawyer. Sometimes, you know, the, the trigger that gets you to go to a lawyer often is you have a, a problem, right? I have this contract I need to sign. I don't know if it's fair. Um, you know, my child is in jail. I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever. The, I'm trying to buy a house and I don't know what the rules are. You know, but but then especially if you're in a business, you have ongoing challenges. And what you really want is an advisor who helps you avoid these situations and make sure that you're always protected. So the forever promise in the case of a law firm is something around helping you comply with the law and be treated fairly or to protect yourself under the law or to use the law to protect yourself. That's an ongoing issue, um, certainly for businesses and in many cases for families. So your your colleague by aligning the way that they bill and the way that they package value with the the goal of the business which is you know protect me it it's much more attractive to the company and it re- results in predictable revenue for the law firm which is like one of the lumpiest businesses ever right with really spiky yeah. revenue so it smooths it out for them yeah and i would love to go to find like beauty salons or like uh, I went. I can just see myself during the five years since you l- released your first book, and was thinking back. Like, I'm so happy to have subscription as long as I'm not locked in, uh, yeah. personally. And I've spoken yeah. to a few since I read the book uh, about it, and I actually tried to get people to shift their business and start thinking about how they can oh, build. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like implement, <laughs> getting people to start thinking this way because it's so many businesses that actually could do it uh, in many industries. Uh, but many yeah. are as well, like you said. It's not that yeah. we need to... to um, nowadays, you don't need to um, explain why you want a, a subscription or why you want a recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. But it's more or less how. Yeah, yeah. And and what, what's so interesting is, you know, you, you pointed out, like, you as a consumer love a good subscription, a well-designed subscription that meets your needs and that allows you to leave when you're ready to leave. And, you know, people are talking a lot about subscription fatigue right now and asking, is subscription fatigue real? And I think that the issue is there's so many subscriptions now and so many of them are bad, either because they hide the cancel button, like you said, or they they provide the wrong amount of value. Um, you know, they're, they're not sized properly for your needs or the features don't even justify a subscription, like a subscription to a single title of a book. Um, or to a very small library, you know, uh, or or a subscription to something that you only, you know, you asked when is a subscription a bad idea? Well, if there's not enough content, if you don't need it on an ongoing basis, if it doesn't solve an ongoing problem, you probably don't need a subscription. And yet companies try to create them because they want the revenue. So what's really important on the company side is to make sure that the subscription you have justifies subscription pricing, that the value that you're providing is ongoing and limitless Um, and that's how you know and then if you do that the customer will probably appreciate that you've solved their problem so fully for them yeah or at least the like you also 
I know it's like instead of a subscription, at least think about the community way of thinking or a membership that has maybe not a monthly subscription fee, but you are kind of part of that company and the company sees you part of them for a long, long time. Um, because that really goes back to my favorite part, which, which is like the forever promise that is the foundation. Yeah, there's so much value. Let's just talk about community for a second and the role of community in membership. You know, other people, you know, if, if a subscription is about solving a problem or achieving a goal, right? I'm a person, I have a long-term goal, I have a long-term problem, there's something I'm trying to do. If there are other people that are on that same journey, I can probably learn from them in many, many cases. So if I'm in a, if I have a subscription to advice about being a mother, let's say, and I just had a baby, right? How valuable, certainly the content is valuable to me and the tools are valuable to me, but talking to other moms who are at the same point on the journey, that's priceless. And, you know, so any organization that is building a subscription and really knows who that, who that best member is and has a clear forever promise to them, can explore, it doesn't always work, but they can explore the value of adding a layer of community to their offering because it's a way of creating value under their brand umbrella where they're not actually creating the content, right? You and I are sharing ideas under the umbrella of the brand, uh, like what Epicenter does. Exactly what I wanted to mention because Epicenter is built on a community of startups, scale-ups, and corporate mm-hmm. that are on the same building that can learn from each other and, you know, build and grow. So, and that's the strong part. Otherwise, it would just be another space, you know. So the community right. is really strong. And you can see that from when members coming in, they're new or old. I usually, when I'm in the space, I walk around and I can hear other members, like, explain or almost explain what Epicenter is to their guests because they have, the, like, this super user hat on. Right. Because it's not just a rental, a space rental, it's a community, like you said, of, of, of entrepreneurs. And, you know, so space is one thing that they need, but there's a lot of other things they need. And so they're able to talk to each other and guide each other. And maybe I would imagine that there are probably some of those where now they might be able to move out and get their own space they're like, well, we don't want to because we really like the community here. Exactly, because we just moved. We also like all the events and how we are, the, the event we, we did, it's now just digitalized. So the memberships, the members and the community still get a lot of, get to share their content and get content from each other. So it's all about uh, knowledge sharing and we've just moved it online. So it's still, it's yeah. we still, um, like you said, deliver on the value, just in a different format. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if other people that aren't using your space now are going to say, well, I love the digital, you know, I love the digital membership. I don't even need the space. I just like the community and the content that you provide and the access to other like-minded people. Um, Because I'm seeing that with a lot of, you know, as a lot of businesses go online, one of the things they're finding, the first thing that they think about is, wow, we're giving up a lot because we've lost this ability to connect physically. Mm. Um, but then they say, oh, but we've gained something too, right? Yeah. You've gained access to a broader audience. It's more convenient for people to join. Um, you can record it in a different way. Uh, people interact differently online. I mean, it's been so interesting in the last few months as lots of uh, membership groups have moved online to see what kinds of new advantages they found, not just not just the 
well, we have to do this because we have no choice, but the, oh, wow, but it's actually a pretty useful tool. It, it adds something to the toolbox of our membership. It's layering yeah. in more value. Right, because Global Woman, the female network that I've been running for three years, we've launched in 27 locations or globally, and now when everybody's moved online, people can network with people from all over the world without even flying anywhere. So oh. I don't even know if they're going to go back or if we're going to go back to physical space because people love it. They check in on the Chicago event one day and the Stockholm event another day, and they get to meet each other over just online. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting because when things kind of, you know, go back to normal, there is still I think there's still value. Like people talk about a world where nobody ever sees their colleagues in person and nobody gathers. I mean, that's not I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's human nature to want to gather in person, but it creates a new way of engaging and it expands the kinds of relationships we can have and the kinds of value that organizations can provide. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, me too. I don't think it's going to go back to normal, maybe a new normal. but New not, normal, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Robbie. We're coming to an end. Is there anything, if you could leave, if, if people forget everything we said now, is there some <laughs> a, a, a message you want to leave uh, to our audience before we close down? Yeah, I want to go back to that idea of the forever promise and encourage people listening to think about what is the long-term relationship you want to have with your best customers? Um, how do you want them to think of you? What do you want them to say? I always go to X because they always, Y. Well, they always do this for me. I can count on them. I always shop here because when I do, I always they're always coming up with new ways to help me look professional or look and feel my best. What is it that drives people to come back to you again and again And how can you better serve that goal for them? Thank you so much, Robbie. And thank you almost all everyone for listening. Thank you from Disruption Land. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for joining us here in Disruption Land. To visit again, subscribe to Disruption Land podcast. This podcast is produced by Epicenter, the house of digital innovation. Discover all about our vibrant tech and business community and inspiring workspaces at weareepicenter.com.